What? You're getting heavy. Yeah, you look like you put on five, ten pounds. Huh? I'll tell you something else. You're looking a little chunky yourself, buddy. Me? Yeah. No. Where's your bathroom scale? <laughs> oh my God! I've gained seven pounds. But well, I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Ivan. Another round of strawberry for my friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's non-fat, and uh, this podcast has no fat at all. We are, but I don't want to be a secondary character, and we talk about the secondary characters from every episode of Seinfeld in random order. And uh, my name's Ivan, and of course, and my buddy Stephen is on the other line, and uh, this week we are doing the non-fat yogurt from season five. Yeah, a, a very funny episode. I really liked it. I hadn't seen this one in a long time, and, uh, you know, as well as just being funny in general uh most notably it's a well-known episode because of the constant swearing and the bleeping out yes and the uh fat in the yogurt as well and also a uh, political figure well a former new york mayor uh, rudy giuliani who uh, has been in the spotlight in the last six months or so for various reasons yeah. he uh, makes an uncredited appearance as well but obviously we are not a political show we won't talk about his recent events but uh in the context of the episode he was in an uncredited role at the end of the app yes and of course we are talking about rudy giuliani and like i Ivan said we uh, won't be talking about his more recent political happenings, but uh, we'll certainly be touching on maybe his mayoral career. Uh, in New York well yes. before uh, what's been happening in the last year or two. <laughs> of course. And if you want a politics-free zone, you can go to our Seinfeld page, Seinfeld-isms, one of the largest, or if not the largest, Seinfeld page on Facebook. There's 140,000 members at the moment, 139, something like yeah. that. Yep, that's right. So uh, just a quick correction there. So, And I guess this delineation is important. We are a Seinfeld, well, Seinfeldisms is a Seinfeld group, not a page. Oh, Seinfeld. my mistake, yes. No, yes. no, 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 all good, all good. The biggest <laughs> Seinfeld page, I just don't want to say we're the biggest Seinfeld page because by far the biggest Seinfeld page is Seinfeld's Best Bits, which has, I think, 450,000 members. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. You know, ours is ours is pretty big, but we are very small compared to Seinfeld's Best Bits. But we are the biggest yep. group, which is more of a community rather than just a page that posts content. So just wanted to, of course. Just wanted to distinguish those. <laughs> In case the Seinfeld's Best Bits person or people, you know, reach out to us and go, you liars. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, yeah, we don't want to be crushed by the, uh, the monolithic competition that is Seinfeld's Best Bits. So we, you know, we've, nah. carved, we've carved our own path. We've come this far to the podcast. This is our fifth last episode. So uh, actually, I, I said last week we had four more episodes to go until the end, but it's actually, this is our fifth last. I, I got one one uh, recording a bit less. Yeah, no, and that's a, a nice little surprise for us. So, you know, we've got mm. one extra episode to record and spend some time with you. Yes, indeed. But anyway, uh, let's get on with the episode. So Seinfeld-isms, my friend. So these are Seinfeld-related events that have happened in our lives. Uh, uh, what do you have this week? Uh, so my birthday was a couple of weeks ago and I had a uh, tiny little shindig over the weekend where a handful of friends came over. One of them being our uh, good friend and common co-host, Max, who used to go by the name of Stacy, but has changed their name. Um, they will actually be appearing on uh, our last podcast. You know, a bit more information about that as it comes closer to the date. And uh, Max told me uh, on the weekend that they will explain the name change just in case it's unclear for uh, any of our listeners at that time. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, I saw Max on the weekend 
weekend and uh, they gave me a cool little Seinfeld badge, which is great. So that was a nice little All right. Yeah, just a, good, a tiny little, a tiny little like die-cast metal badge of uh, George posing, you know, the famous George in his underwear pose. So cool. Ah, yes. Lovely. Very good. Very good. Well, my Seinfeld isn't my friend. My wedding is coming up in May of this year. And of course, we did the invitations. I didn't lick any envelopes, obviously. You know, I've seen the invitations one too many times and we all know the ending, but also for COVID as well. You don't want to lick envelopes, especially this time, because who knows what people are carrying these days. We went to Officeworks. It's like the, um, it's one of the, like the office stationery, like mega, like big box retailers we have in Australia. And uh, we were looking for paper for the invitations. So my fiance designed the invitations but we needed the right paper and I thought you know what I'm not probably not going to get another time to do this ever again we got like the sample book and uh, I went right to the back <laughs> back <laughs> of the page like George does with Susan when they look for invitations so I just grabbed they, the whole folder and went thunk were they were they in order of price or did you just want no to, did you just want to do the motion of flipping the whole book I wanted to do the motion yeah no no it was all the same it was all similar price but yeah I went right to the back it was like a big a big folder with samples I just went bang that would have been <laughs> awesome if it was uh, more like the invitations like the the more subtle things you know where there's a a, a clerk showing you the book you know showing you the more expensive ones and then you just go yeah and you go flip all the way to the back all awesome. the way to the back yeah awesome. Seinfeld is a nonetheless oh it is yeah no well we did the clerk did have the sample book and they gave it to us but yeah I was like even though we already had the design they're like we need the paper so I just went bang and then my fiance was like what are you doing I don't want that color <laughs> she didn't understand what was going on yeah, just been like, look, it's fine. You know, we're not actually looking at these colors. Oh, sorry, this paper at the back. Just go with it for like 30 seconds and then we can be serious about it. Just indulge That's me, right. please. <laughs> please, indeed. But anyway, that, were my, that was my Seinfeld news. And what about Seinfeld news? You got a couple of pieces, yeah? Yeah, so a couple of pieces of news. The last few weeks has been pretty uh, flat in regards to Seinfeld news. So I thought I'd do a bit of a wider search to see if I could find news items that aren't directly related to Seinfeld, but can definitely be referenced to Seinfeld. So the first one is... Uh, in India, a man, uh, don't have his name, name wasn't available in any of the reporting. He was involved in a very illegal, very naughty cockfight in a <laughs> in an area of India called uh, Hyderabad. And, uh, I am, yeah. I am uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that to any Indian uh, listeners, but he uh, was actually involved in the cockfight. I believe he was one of the organizers. Um, he might have even been the owner of the uh, murderous rooster, but the rooster <laughs> had a, a three-inch knife tied to its leg. Oh, and, Jesus. Uh, at some Little point, Jerry right? would never do that. No, 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 no. That's, uh, yeah, it's like another level of uh, brutal. But uh, at some point during the fight, the, the rooster got a bit panicked and uh, lost control and fluttered all over the place. And uh, in the sort of ensuing, uh, you know, chaos, it slashed uh, this guy in the groin and uh, the guy died from bleeding out. Jesus yeah, Christ. From a cut. To, That's uh, full on. Cut to the groin. So he was taken to hospital. It doesn't say whether they couldn't patch him up or whether he was maybe dead on the way. Maybe they got there too late. Don't really know. The, the particulars aren't, you know, they're hard to find. You know, all that's really available is that he was 45. He was involved in the cockfight. And uh, yeah, he bled out from a, a massive gash in his groin, which is just, oh, just horrible to think about. Oh, man. And then they took away his uh, clown checks. I think so. Yeah. Um, the final, <laughs> the final sentence is that police have filed a case and are looking for still looking for over a dozen people involved in organizing the cockfight so uh yeah a bit of a no, well, bit of a clandestine business obviously probably the most brutal seinfeld is in uh, seinfeld news you've ever had i think so yeah it's uh, oh my god little jerry <laughs> that's right yeah, yeah so, he didn't uh, take shit from anyone good on him 
No. Uh, and obviously, <laughs> uh, that's in reference to, like Ivan just said, the little Jerry, which I believe was uh, Jerry's, oh, sorry, Kramer and kind of Jerry's storyline in uh, in the checks. Is that right? No, no, the little Jerry was an episode itself. No, no, oh, Jerry yeah. Jerry went to the bo- the bodega and um, he cashed checks, like to pay for stuff, but they were like clown themed checks. And then oh, they right. found out that there was like an underground cockfighting ring. <laughs> In the, right. under the bodega no, but no confused. that was the little jerry yeah no i got confused with the checks which is the uh the other episode where he cashes oh yeah he cashes the the japanese like the the, the one cent yeah, royalty yeah. checks the, from the, japan the, the yeah, 12 yeah cent royalty checks or whatever they are the 12 yeah. cents yeah that's it yeah yeah, yeah. no it's all right look we've, we've done nearly the entirety of the series so it's understandable if we forget <laughs> you know some episodes men meld into one you know it can get confusing that's so it's right. understandable We've done, uh, done this too long, my friend. Yeah. No, they all kind of just blur into one. Second bit yeah. of Seinfeld news, not as brutal as a man dying to being stabbed by a three-inch knife rooster. A restaurant in Toronto, Canada, which goes by the name of Betty's General. It's sort of just a, at the moment, it's a, um, I guess you'd just call it like a Canadian slash American themed diner. You know, they've got burgers, uh, a lot of traditional North American kind of cuisine. They've actually decided to, and it doesn't say why um, or what prompted this, but I'm guessing maybe it's in relation to, you know, the massive downturn in business and hospitality and entertainment from COVID-19, they've decided to permanently alter their menu so it's completely Seinfeld themed. So it's not just like, All right. not like a gimmick for a month or you know a special event. They've just completely, they haven't actually done it yet. It's happening soon. But uh, they've announced that, yeah, they're permanently changing their menu to completely Seinfeld themed for, you know, indefinitely, which is wonderful. Cool. That's very cool. Well, Jerry will have to go visit there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and Larry? Yeah. So there's a pretty long article that I found out about, uh, that I found about it. We'll put that uh, link as well as the more brutal cockfighting link in the show notes. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. I'll, just I'll put a not safe for work <laughs> link on that one. Not safe for work tag. Uh, yeah. They'll have the typical, on their menu, they'll have the typical uh, Seinfeld uh, items that you would expect to find, chocolate babka. Um, they've got pastrami on marble rye, which I think is a nice sort of like a combination because obviously George eats his pastrami sandwiches. Uh, in bed and there's also the marble rye as well from that episode so I think that's a nice little combination uh, yeah. black and white cookies Drex coffee cake muffin tops junior mints etc 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 as well Perfect. as a few other ones so uh, yeah check out that in the show notes very good buddy uh, that was all the news that's it cool let's take a quick break and when we come back we are talking about the penultimate season 5 episode in Bidwabask and its secondary characters featured in the non-fat yogurt hi this is Zach and Aaron from Seinfeld Law and uh, you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. The Non-Fat Yogurt first aired in the US on November 4th, 1993, directed by Tom Sharonis and written by Larry David. In the episode, Kramer invests in a new non-fat yogurt store, which becomes a hit in the city. Jerry and Elaine discover that they've been gaining weight and wonder if the yogurt really is non-fat or has fat. Jerry tries to unravel this mystery while also dealing with a neighbor's kid who saw his act, Matthew, played by John Christian Grass, and the one rare instance where Jerry unleashes profanities on stage. Meanwhile, George runs into a former child acquaintance Lloyd Braun, played in this episode by Peter Callahan, who's working on the mayoral campaign for incumbent Mayor Dinkins. The campaign is quickly jeopardised when Elaine proposes a name tag system. The mayoral campaign is also jeopardised when Kramer dates one of the lab technicians, Cheryl, played by Lisa Hool, and accidentally spills some of the yogurt into Giuliani's blood samples. Other secondary characters, Newman makes a couple of appearances in the episode. Of course, Frank and Estelle Costanza make an appearance too. Meredith Burrell plays Meredith, who's Matthew's mum. Hugh a. Rose plays George's orthopedic 
orthopedist. Jed Mills plays Joel. He's one of the investors or he uh, the owner of the non-fat yogurt store. Um, John Gabriel plays the newscaster. Daryl Kutamoni plays the lab tech. And of course, like we mentioned at the start of the episode, really Rudy Giuliani plays himself in an uncredited role. So a uh, bit of trivium about the episode, mate. I've done enough talking for a bit. What have you got? So what I found interesting, actually, because a lot of the time when uh, a show that normally doesn't have profanity does have profanity, you can find you know, blooper reels or uncut scenes where there's an unbeeped version. Uh, but apparently that does not exist. So, no. from, you know, from when this episode was first filmed and put together and uh, and uh, released, there is absolutely no, at least publicly available, uncensored version of any of the scenes in this episode. Yeah, because if you look at the lips from Jerry and uh, Matthew, especially Matthew, you can see when, like, he says the F word, you know, thanks for ruining my dad's business, you fat, you know, whatever. You can see on his lips he says the word freak when it beeps. So yeah. it's meant to be like fuck. But he says, like, you can see, he's like in his lips, he says freak. If you watch back, if you like look back at those scenes, he says freak. And I don't remember what he says when he says shit. But no, he definitely doesn't say fuck. No, 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 no. Yeah. I did pay a bit of attention to Jerry and Mary when, you know, when they were swearing. And it does look like they were saying fuck or something very, very similar. But yeah. Probably when- funk. Funk or something. something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't think that one swears. I guess because they probably didn't want a kid swearing, you know, even though he's an actor and it's all part of his job, they probably still wanted to keep it a bit more wholesome for, for the child. Yeah. The one I did notice, I didn't notice the freak, but I did notice and I picked this up because, well, I, I sort of, I was made aware of it by uh, by Signcast because they were talking about this as well. And I think they say in one scene, he says fink. Oh, fink, yeah. Fink, yep. but he probably says freak in other, you know, he probably varies it depending on the scene. But uh, I, the scene, I can't remember which specific scene it is, but when they said that he says fink i watched that again and i did notice him say fink but you did notice yeah, it looks like yeah. it looks like jerry and um the uh the actress i can't remember her name who plays mary do say uh, uh, meredith yeah her name meredith. is actually meredith <laughs> yeah oh, right. there you go yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks like so, they do say fuck or something similar. Oh, maybe. Yeah, well, maybe because in those scenes, I don't think Matthew was in them. So maybe they did it, you know, when he wasn't there. Yeah, I and guess. I mean, you know, Jerry you know. Jerry Seinfeld in real life is a pretty wholesome comedian. But if you watch, you know, his documentaries and stuff. He swears know, a he, bit. He, do, he does. Yeah, he's not like a, he doesn't swear like a sailor. But uh, yeah, yeah. You know, occasionally he'll say fuck or shit or something like that. So it makes sense that they would just say, look, just say fuck rather than think yeah. or freak. And I think that, yeah, if, and you know, they're adults, you know, they're fine. But the audience are adults. Yeah, and also, and Matthew and the actor who played Matthew are children, so it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. Well, no, it's just interesting when you look at the lips. <laughs> they're not actually yeah. saying fuck or shit. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty clever. Um, but, but well, M- Matthew at least. Um, but anyway, uh, two final versions of the, oh, sorry, two versions rather of the final scene were filmed as the episode was to air days after the 1993 New York City mayoral election. So they weren't sure, obviously, who was going to win Dave Dinkins or Rudy Giuliani, but uh, Giuliani ended up winning. So they put the uh, the next day, rather, Giuliani uh, filmed the scene in an uncredited role. And uh, there was actually uh, Phil Morris, who plays Jackie Childs, who was meant to film or who actually filmed the uh, Dinkins version of the final scene. He was to play Dinkins' press secretary and that never went to air. I did uh, actually listen to the audio of uh, that scene and uh, it doesn't sound like um, Jackie Childs at all. Like Phil Morris just sounds like a boring, normal kind of guy. And uh yeah, it's it's surprising to to hear him going. You know, the voice sounds similar because it's it's Phil Morris's yeah. voice and it's unmistakable. But there's no Johnny Cochran in it. Yeah, yeah Johnny no, Cochran no, impersonation in it. Yeah, there's yeah. no eccentricities or, or character. It's just a very kind of boring, normal voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very different. I, I'm sure it's probably a deleted scene on the DVDs or something. Yeah, it I'm is, sure you can it find is, it somewhere. Yeah, no, it is. Um, it is available on the DVDs, but I heard the audio of it. And, oh, um, sweet. 
Yeah. So yeah, it, I mean, it, it worked out well because I mean, I'm sure there would have been if if uh, if Jackie Charles was cast, you know, with someone else, I'm sure they would have done their own version of it and it would have been good. But Jackie Charles is one of those characters that you can't imagine anyone else playing, you know, playing him. Phil, Phil is Jackie sort of thing. But even if Dinkins won the election and Phil, you know, filmed that scene as him, you know, as a more, more calmer character, they still could have would have cast Phil as Jackie in season seven because he doesn't appear till season seven. So that's true. You know, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of actors on Seinfeld play different characters. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think anyone yeah. would have watched Jackie Charles and gone, oh, hang on, that's uh, that's Dinkins' advisor because, you know, it, it's one scene at the end of an episode three or four seasons prior. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That would have forgotten or not cared about it anyway. Yeah. Uh, Lloyd Braun, he's actually a real-life person. He is uh, was Larry David's former entertainment lawyer. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, so uh, it turns out they were having a bet over a friendly game of golf between Larry and Lloyd, and La- and Larry said, "If I win, your name is going to be in this episode." And uh, he uh, won the match, or won the uh, you know the round of golf, and uh, he was allowed to use his lawyer's name in the episode. The lawyer must have been um, a bit apprehensive about it, because if the bet was that if I lost, my name would be used in the show, I'd deliberately lose. I'd be, I'd, I'd <laughs> Maybe be, he wanted his name in there. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like he must have been. I would see my name being used in. In, in the show for a character as a win, not as a loss. So, so the lawyer must have been against it. Maybe he was just a private person or for some reason didn't want to be used. Uh, or maybe because Lloyd was, you know, Larry was saying, I'm going to make Lloyd into like this very charming, charismatic, confident character. I bet you if, um, you know, Matt McCoy's Lloyd Braun was introduced for the first time and that was the one we saw, I don't think the real life Lloyd would have been too happy to see his name being, you know, attached to like a guy who was a mental patient. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Larry decided a few seasons later, they're like, you know what, I'm still going to use Lloyd Braun, but I'll make him insane. Yeah. And my lawyer will, you know, if he finds out, who cares? Yeah. I'm so far into this show you know, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, you know, this entertainment lawyer, you know, he works for Larry. He's probably on a good retainer. He's like, yeah, you can use my name. That's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he loved it anyway. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about some secondary characters, my man. I reckon we should talk about uh, Lloyd Braun. I mean, we already have done a What's the Deal With episode with him way back when. And of course, we did interview uh, Matt McCoy, who plays Lloyd in two later episodes. But uh, I feel like this version of Lloyd Braun is a bit of a different character to Matt's. Um, So I guess we could talk about him in the context of this episode. Yeah, the Lloyd in this episode feels like, and I guess in a lot of ways is a completely different person, not only the actor, but the character um, and, you know, their, their whole vibe and everything about them uh, than the, the the Lloyd, the more popular Lloyd Braun. Lloyd yeah, the more well-known one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the more insane one. Yeah. Anyway, so the first reiteration or the first iteration of Lloyd Braun, he was played by Canadian actor Peter Kellahan. He has appeared in The Newsroom, Ginger Snaps and The Industry. And uh, like I said, this is the first of three appearances by the character Lloyd, but uh, Peter only appears in this episode and much, much differently to uh, compared to Matt's uh, version of Lloyd Braun. Peter, he is very swell. He's very charismatic, confident in himself, and uh, yeah, he's a campaign advisor to Mayor Dinkins, which is a pretty, uh, pretty honourable role. Yeah, I mean, he's not only a campaign advisor, but he's he's a personal advisor as well. Because uh, I think was it Elaine who says to George that he even advises Dinkins on his choice of soap. You know, so it's yeah, like, he's not just advising him on political strategy. Uh, you know, obviously he's uh, he's almost like his right hand man or his you know trust yeah. confidant sort of thing. Almost like a personal assistant. Yeah, like a personal assistant mixed with a an advisor. You know, I'm sure. Yeah. 
I'm sure, you know, he trusts Lloyd and his advice, but, uh, you know, he probably just, you know, gets Lloyd to do mundane, you know, go get me coffee, go buy my soap, go get me some frozen yogurt, etc. So yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd is just seemingly completely loyal to Dinkins and will just do whatever he needs, um, you know, whether it's high level political strategy or just, you know, picking up his dry cleaning. I'm sure he does it all. No, oh, for everything. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we go by, you know, the fact that the real life Lloyd Braun is a lawyer, could we say that maybe Lloyd has a background in law perhaps and, you know, through connections, he was able to get the job with Dinkins? Yeah, I, I would imagine that, you know, a, a pretty... It's pretty common for people in politics to have a, you know, if they don't have a legal background professionally, they've at least got a law degree because obviously a lot of politics is knowing and understanding the law. Um, you know, there's a pretty big crossover there. I would assume that maybe Lloyd, you know, graduated from a quite a prestigious, maybe Yale Law School or Harvard Law School or something like that. He he has that sort of like confident Ivy League energy, I guess you could say, you know. Yeah, he's definitely uh, part of like the old boys club, as we yeah, say in Australia. Yeah, yeah I, I think know. so, for sure. I mean, he grew up around around the Costanzas and that's, you know, a pretty working class neighborhood. So I don't imagine he would have come from wealth or, or absolute privilege. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sure his his character and, you know, he's, he's a very intelligent man as as well, I'm sure that you know he, he was still able to sort of move past the limitations of working class to you know end up at the top of the class in Harvard or Yale Law School or something like that. And uh, you know, I, I could imagine him maybe going to you know his first job maybe for the district attorney, which again is a legal role, but it's a political legal role. And maybe through working for the district attorney of New York City or something like that, he made political connections, and then uh, you know he got the opportunity to jump from purely a legal role to or a legal political role to a purely political role. That's a pathway I would imagine uh, someone like Lloyd following. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I, I feel like he would have come from something else and gone into politics. Yeah, I mean, he could have come from the private legal world, you know, could have worked for a law firm and then gotten directly into politics. But, you know, I don't know a lot about political, uh, New York political career pathways. But, you know, whenever I think of lawyers and politics combined, I always think of like a district attorney type role. So, yeah, you know, know, which is a mix of politics and legal. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, But now going back to Lloyd's um, working class roots, yeah, I feel like maybe like he probably, you know, his whole family probably never went to university or, you know, never probably not even graduated high school. But then I feel like Lloyd, you know, he had that natural ability to, you know, achieve more. And I'm sure he worked really hard, you know, in his earlier life and he probably got bullied, you know, in school and all that, you know, for being like uh, like a brainiac, you know, some kids can be really mean, you know, if you're really smart they'll pick on you and stuff yeah no i feel like maybe with lloyd braun that happened to him and then he rose above everything and uh yeah he, i feel like to get into that old boys club he really had to like work for it um because yeah. you know a lot of a lot of people in these things if you go to a certain college you're automatically in but i feel like he really had to work it you know really had to kind of almost fake it till he makes it you know yeah for sure a lot of people who are you know at that sort of more elite level of uh of, of life yeah just kind of born into it they've got a, a you know their tickets already punched into that that world. Yep. And, you know, people can penetrate it who aren't already in it. You know, they, they might not have the initial connections or the wealth. But yeah, you're right. Lloyd, to get to that level, would have had to, yeah, he would have had to work a lot harder than most of the other people in that world. And he got in and, uh, you know, George is very jealous of him because I've always said that Lloyd Braun is the son that Estelle and Frank always wanted. Yeah. I but mean, they never got. They got the loser, George, instead. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I understand why Estelle and Frank might be a bit disappointed in George, but the amount of shit they hang on him and, uh, you know, the amount of praise they give. Lloyd in front of George is just borderline abusive. <laughs> you know, Almost. It's quite horrible. Like, you know, I, I kind of understand them being obviously disappointed in George. He's not a very nice person. He's, you know, a typical loser, you know, and I guess it's a different different cultural thing and a different generational thing where the expectations of parents 
on children means a lot more. Maybe it's not as as much these days. But uh, yeah, George, I think George is treated very, very... The amount of shit that they give George compared to Lloyd, especially in front of George, is, uh, yeah, is a bit too much, I think. Yeah, they really pick on him bad. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That's what makes it funny. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I'm not too sure if we, I can't remember if we talked about this in Lloyd's uh, specific What's the Deal With episode. It's nearly uh, four years ago, man. (laughs) It's probably. (laughs) I'm thinking now that, you know, most people would would take it pretty hard considering the fall of Lloyd Braun, you know, to sort of a lot of influence, a lot of power, you know, the right hand man of, you know, the most, in some ways, the most powerful man in New York City, you know, and he probably, and he probably was very closely connected to like, to Washington, you know, sort of like federal politics as well, as well as city and state politics. So, you know, he had a lot of access, a lot of power, a lot of influence, a lot of prestige, a lot of respect, all those things. And it makes sense that someone at that level, when they when they fail miserably and they're, you know, more or less entirely and solely responsible for the downfall of a mayor that was supposed to win in a cakewalk. You know, it makes sense that Lloyd has a breakdown, but I think the breakdown of Lloyd that we see, you know, portrayed by Matt McCoy, which is just completely, you know, in some ways disconnected from reality and just a broken person. I think it was made extra hard because of his more humble beginnings. You know, he had to fight harder to get to that level. So when the fall happens, it's felt extra hard. You know, if Lloyd was born into an elite level of society and he failed as much as he does, it would still be hard, but I don't think it would be as hard as we see, you know? No, because if anything, Lloyd would just get another job somewhere else. That's usually the case. I mean, like if a CEO, if someone's a CEO of like a failed company or a company who's, you know, been found to be corrupt or whatever, you know, the CEO doesn't usually go to jail or whatever. They might get like a a couple of million dollar fine or something and then they'll, you know, quit or, you know, get thrown out, but then they'll just find a job elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's usually like a cushion or like a safety net around them, especially if they, even before they're in that high level position, if they're just in that world just by birth, you know, there there seems to be an extra level of protection and cushioning for when they fail. Whereas someone like Lloyd, who is definitely in that world and is now a member of it, but didn't start there by being born into it. You know, you said before that um, maybe Lloyd was the first person in his family to go to college and, you know, definitely, you know, the star of his family, you know, the, the sort of the apple maybe in his parents' eye. I think that extra pressure, you know, when, when I've seen it before in families where, you know, you've got a family, like a like an immediate family and extended family, and there's one mm. standout person, you know, they're the smartest, they're the most successful in whatever way. And it's just something, it's like instinct too. Like, it's not like they've yeah. been taught to do it. It's just no, kind of no, like something they've been born with. Yeah. And, and, and that person is elevated in that family and, you know, rightfully so. They're the high achievers. They're the ones that have done the most, whatever. But it also carries this extra pressure. So when they succeed, it brings this great pride to the entire family. But when they fail, it also brings mm. out a lot of, it also lends itself to a lot of shame. So I think, yeah, yeah Lloyd, Lloyd's fall was, again, hard for anyone, regardless of who they are. But it was exacerbated by the fact that he didn't start out in a more prestigious level of life. And also that extra family pressure because of him being the sort of, you know, the, the star if you like. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, he was kind of like he almost, like to him, he shamed his family name as well. You know, he's yeah. he's risen above, done everything. And then, you know, he suggests he actually liked the idea of the name tags. You know, he probably thought it was a really progressive thing. Yeah, he does. So, yeah, just if he failed miserably, but it wasn't directly his fault, if he just got caught up in someone else's mistake or caught up in a controversy and he was just collateral damage, again, it would have been very hard. The fact that more mm. or less, I guess you can blame Dinkins as well, because Dinkins took the idea and actually announced it, that it was going to be a 
policy of his. But Lloyd is still more or less directly responsible for the domino effect and the massive unwinding of Dinkins and his whole staff and campaign and everything. So Yeah, you got to remember as well, though, because Dinkins relied on Lloyd for everything, even what soap he should use. So obviously, you know, he he trusts Lloyd so much that if Lloyd says we should come up with the name tags, you know, Dave's like, yeah, why not? Yep. I trust you to, to tell me the right policy and to get me over the line. And, you know, he, and he went with it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Very and, dependent and, on Lloyd. Yeah. And I'm sure Lloyd would have felt the pressure and the shame of not only ruining his own career and uh, and Dinkins, but, you know, a lot of unknown staffers, you know, because a, a, a mayor and especially an election campaign has hundreds of people running it. You know, there's like, you know, there's phone operators, there's, you know, there's strategists, there's policy advisors, there's finance people, you know, it's it's a big machine. Everything, so, yeah. And it's not like Dinkins just lost because he got outvoted. Like Lloyd completely just decimated their entire campaign. So, you know, he would have cost a lot of other people that we don't know about their jobs as yeah. well. And he would have been blacklisted too from like all political jobs and stuff. I think that like even though he worked his way through to the elite, I think the fact that he humiliated a mayor with yeah. such a poorly thought out policy, I think yeah. that was like a poison chalice. I think it was enough where like he couldn't be redeemed in that field. I think it's yeah. like it was so dumb, so bad that it's like, you know what, we can't move you on to something else politically. You know, you're like you're almost like blackballed from the from the whole thing. You know what I mean? You're blackballed yeah, from like, politics. Yeah, it's like, you know, even though he worked really hard to get to that, you know, that that circle of power and influence within New York, he was still, you know, he was accepted and he was mostly successful up until this episode. But when it comes down to the crunch, he's still an outsider. So it's like last one in first. Oh, sorry, first one in, last one out. Yeah. Oh, sorry, last one in, first one out. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway, Paul Lloyd, and uh, yeah, and then he yeah. uh, we see the uh, the fruits of his uh, insanity yeah. in the last couple of episodes. Yeah. He's a he's a shell of his former self. Yeah, and uh, not not very connected to reality, unfortunately. But uh, no. before we move on, I just wanted to talk a bit about Lloyd. I guess before his downfall, you know, just who he is as a person in the few scenes that we see him before the the name tag fiasco. I find him a bit like smug and a bit arrogant. A he's bit, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got he's got you know he's confident, he's cocky, and rightfully so. He's like tall, handsome, charming, intelligent. Like it's natural that someone like Lloyd at this stage in his life has a has a natural confidence, you know. And George George finds any sort of confidence, you know, he either takes it personally or finds it threatening. So, but. I got this sense that Lloyd was almost trying to sort of fuck with George. Lloyd wasn't just- Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Lloyd Lloyd wasn't just being who he was and it happened to rub George the wrong way or, or threaten him. Like he knew that he had that power over George- and he was—he wasn't directly doing anything, but he was kind of playing with him a bit. Yeah, no, because because Lloyd Lloyd dominates George, and he knows it. Yeah, you know, yeah. he, he rubs into George like even like in the first scene with Lloyd, he says, "Oh, I heard you moved back in with your parents." Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's but he doesn't like, say it as like a caring way. He kind of says it in like a smirking kind of way. It's yeah, like, it's "Oh, I heard you moved back in with your parents." Yeah, he's not like directly mean to him. He's not like rude, but it's this sort of like subtle passive aggressive. Like yeah, I'm gonna fuck with you a tiny bit. It's like a bit of mind. Yeah, he's just he's rubbing it in to to yeah. George. Yeah, because obviously they both come from the same working class roots, but Lloyd, you know, became more successful. Yeah, and um, you know, there was probably some rivalry back in the day as well, so that's coming into play now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But uh, yeah, but then uh, George, you know, in later episodes, George says that he won over Lloyd because <laughs> Lloyd went to the mental institution. <laughs> yep. Like he's Lloyd won. won. Lloyd won the battle. Yeah. George won the war. George won the war. <laughs> that's right. And he gloats about it quite a bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, anyway, do you have any other notes on uh, Peter Callahan's version of Lloyd Braun? Uh, no, that that was it. 
cool. You can go back to our, I think, our 15th episode overall through our feed all the way back from 2017, and you can listen to our What's the Deal with Lloyd Braun episode, an entire episode where we talk about Lloyd Braun and both Peter Callahan and Matt McCoy, the actors who played him. So, uh, Steve, I reckon we should talk about Meredith and her son, Matthew. What do you think? Sure. Meredith, she was played by Meredith Burrell. She was a cast member in Fridays, the Saturday Night Saturday Night Live spinoff with Michael Richards. Uh, she also appeared in TV shows such as Family Ties, Parenthood, and Remington Steel. And her and Matthew both appeared in The Parking Space from Season 3, I think, or maybe Season 4. That's the one where George, you know, fights that guy for The Parking Space. So they're, uh, they're one of the many secondary characters on the street observing the entire thing. Matthew, he was played by John Christian Grass, and he's appeared in Kindergarten Cop, childhood favourite of mine, and Out on a Limb. So obviously they're very different characters in this episode, Steve. In the parking space, we don't really... We see that Matthew is inspired by Jerry and says he wants to be a comedian, so that's kind of already established. But, uh, you know, Matthew, he's so inspired by Jerry that he likes to copy what Jerry does. Yeah, he um, he's very impressionable. I would assume that... Mary understands that that Matthew looks up to Jerry and, you know, she's disappointed in Jerry that he swears around him, even though it was an accident. But I've got a feeling that Matthew, he has other comedian heroes. So I don't think it's just <laughs> Jerry. Bill Simon. Hicks. Yeah, it could be Bill Hicks or, you know, Eddie, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, you know, like more sort of, uh, I guess, like crude maybe or, or blue. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, actually, I yeah. Well, now, now you mention it, I think maybe Meredith saw Matthew watch one of those kind of comedians. Yep. And maybe she said, oh, because Jerry is much cleaner and more yep. observational, maybe you should lean more towards him because yeah. Matthew has aspirations to be a comedian. But obviously in the 90s, that's when all that blue comedy, you know, 80s, 90s, blue comedy became like a huge, you know, like a big big deal. Yep. And, uh, you know, Matthew's been watching videos or maybe watched late night TV of it or something, you know, on, on cable. And Meredith's like, no, you got to follow Jerry. And then Jerry swears once on a thing. And then Matthew thinks, oh, all comedians must be like that. So that's how I'm going to talk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think um, Matthew's developed enough. He's, you know, he's what, 10 or 11, I guess, maybe 12. I don't Probably think 12. Yeah. 11. Or, you know, he's, he's too naive to realize that not all comedians swear, that Jerry's comedy yep. is very clean, very uh, family friendly. Whereas, you know, Richard Pryor's is sort of the opposite. Uh, <laughs> Bill Hicks's is just another level. It's just insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bill Hicks is... is George um, Carlin. Is it George Carlin? Uh, yeah, George Carlin. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, probably, he's probably got the most, one of the most famous comedy skits, the the seven, is it the seven unspeakable words or whatever it's called? I think it was something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah classic, classic comedy skit. Yeah, I, I think Matthew just thinks that, you know, comedy is swearing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Matthew mostly likes the swearing. You know, it's a reason. It's yeah. a, it's an excuse to swear. Because when kids I was, love swearing, though, yeah, when we were when kids, was, we'd all we'd all say fucking shit and stuff to each other. Yeah, exactly. When I was eleven or twelve, if I saw something with, uh, you know, with swearing in it, whether it was comedy or a film or whatever, you know, a lot of the the more intellectual parts of, you know, like if I saw George Carlin when I was nine or ten, I wouldn't understand most of his more intelligent and intellectual stuff. I would just remember the swearing. So yeah. you know, Matthew's probably in that at that same age where you know a lot of the jokes go over his head because he's a kid, uh, but the the swearing really sticks with him. So when Jerry swears, uh, yeah. I've got an excuse now because this comedy comedian, not only that I look up to, but that I know personally is swearing. So, you know, it's all good. <laughs> Do you think Matthew became a comedian if you could hypothesize his later life? Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe a failed comedian. Yeah. And maybe. he tried all the swearing and stuff, but it didn't really work out. Yeah, I think so. For some reason. Yeah. Well, yep. he was part of like a, he was in like a scandal or something. <laughs> he was yeah. embroiled in like a sex scandal, like yeah, another been. comedian a few years ago. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> could have been uh, Me Too'd. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in later life, we got Me Too'd and Meredith just, you know, disowns him. 
Yeah, who knows? And Meredith and Joel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> had enough of him yeah but Matthew and also like he, I, I don't know I feel like he's probably got like not an intellectual disability but maybe he's got like ADD or something like that because he just grabs Jerry's tape and just rips all the all the tape out of it you know like yeah, he's, the he's, hell he's a slightly like I guess you could call him dysfunctional or just like a little turd <laughs> no know? maybe just a little turd yeah just yeah, being a yeah, little laugh behavior, hole, yeah. You know, maybe he's just got like behavioral issues you know I mean Mary seems like a devoted mother she's always with him she wants uh, you know Jerry to set the right example She's not a not a um an unattentive or sorry an inattentive or unloving mother, but I could imagine that. Sorry, who's Matthew's father? The owner of the yoga. Oh, Joel. 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 You know, I yeah. could imagine that when you know when it's exposed that Joel was actually selling yogurt, frozen yogurt with fat in it. You know, that would have been a bit pretty big controversy, a pretty big failure in um in Matthew's eyes. So that probably made him a bit more dysfunctional as well. Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, well, he became very resentful to Jerry, saying, "You ruined yeah. my dad's business, you fat fuck." Yeah, and I think that would have had a big knock-on effect for Matthew and and just the whole family relationship. You know, it, yeah. that could have led to like a divorce or something like that, which would have made life a bit more difficult for Matthew. Yeah, so I, I've got the impression that maybe things were. A bit not like totally broken down at home but maybe things were starting to get a bit more shaky at home and Matthew mm. like any kid in a, in a household with a bit of tension or fighting or whatever is going on you know he starts to act out yeah he does yeah and then and then he sees Jerry and uh, you know starts swearing and then exactly. it just gets worse yeah yeah yeah, that's right. And we never see them again. This is the final episode they're in, both of them. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, there is Joel the father as well, but we don't really see much of him. He's just oh, behind the counter exactly. in his uniform. Yeah, I think yeah. it's just one or maybe two lines. That's it. Yeah, but obviously he's he's one of the um, he's the owner slash you know investor in the business and the franchise, and Kramer's in on it too. And I guess they're business partners until uh, everything goes to shit. Yeah, I, I don't think Kramer and, and uh, Joel are like 50-50 business partners. I think Joel, you know, he's he's the primary business owner. And oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because Kramer, because he says Kramer invested in it, yeah, yeah, he probably just chipped in five or ten percent, or you know, it's like here's a here's a bunch of money invested for three years, and I'll get a return. I don't, yeah, like, it's not like him and Poppy, you know, when they go fifty fifty in the Make Your Empire shop or anything like that. Because it was no, already, that's true, that's true. He already had at least two yogurt shops before Kramer came along. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and then he just uh, just ruins it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this I remember in the nineties when it was all like fat free, ninety nine percent fat free, and there's been this whole thing. You know, for like 30, 40, 50 years where like fat was a bad thing. But we've come to realize that fat, some fats are actually good for you. You know, like in avocados and other kinds of food, like good, like not like trans fats. But what are the, what are the good fats like? Poly- Omega-3 yeah, like and Omega, Omega all that kind of stuff. Omega-6s, polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, all of this. That's fat. the one. Yeah, like all good fats. Yeah. But it's yeah. funny because when you see fat free, they replace it with like sugar or some kind of yeah. filler. You know, we do know now that sugar, you know, can convert to fat if you don't use it. So it's essentially... Uh, the same thing yeah and i mean it was a big i don't want to say conspiracy but definitely a big controversy in the 70s and 80s and it all sort of came out in the 90s that i guess it was like marketing firms that really they realized that they could make people believe that fat free was actually healthier but by oh and even worse that fat was bad like fat fat was a bad thing Yeah. yeah And that by advertising it as, you know, fat-free or 99% fat-free or light or diet or whatever, you know, marketing words that we're using. But if you pump up the salt and sugar to replace the flavor that fat naturally provides, you know, and there's been a lot of exposés, um, I think even some lawsuits, a lot of documentaries about the, I guess you call it the machinations or just the deception of, um, you know, major food companies doing that to bump up sales. Yeah. A lot of it happened in the 70s and 80s. They even paid off a lot of scientists to sort of like not falsify studies, but to make bias studies and stuff. There's, there's quite a 
lot of uh, yeah. good stuff out there about it. So if you want to check that out, I mean, most people know that stuff now anyway, it's common knowledge, but I feel like around this time, you know, maybe the late 90s, maybe with the advent of the internet. Um, yeah, you know, more people started people, coming out more people got a bit, Yeah, more people sort of cottoned on to, hang on, like fat-free is, uh, you know, is not necessarily deceptive, but it's not just yeah. as simple as this is healthier because it doesn't have fat in it. There's something else going and, on. Yeah, and if you remove the fat, what do you replace it with? You can't just exactly. have nothing. You've yeah. got to put something yeah. in it. Yeah, I have a couple of, um, I, I interviewed on my In Melbourne Last Week podcast, my old one I did, my interview podcast. I interviewed a couple of dietitians yep. and, you know, they're fit, healthy, you know, they, they, they work with like oncology patients on, you know, diets and people who've come from hospital and, you know, yep. they tailor diets to suit them. And, and one of them said, yeah, I, I drink two full cream lattes every day. Yep. I don't eat light fat-free stuff you know I, I i eat it you know i i i'll go to the cafe and buy like you know a full cream cafe latte like yeah. kramer <laughs> yeah you know i mean the healthiest you know on average uh the healthiest people on earth i guess it depends how you define healthy but the the longest living people on earth are mediterranean europeans mostly um italians sicilians Sardinian yep. stuff like that because of the because the tomatoes and and all that stuff the yeah. tomatoes have have a thing in it where it actually helps with your blood circulation yeah. I think it's lycophenes, I think it's called. Okay. And uh, Italians, you know, Italians eat tomatoes like there's no tomorrow. They put it in yeah. everything. So, yeah, that helps with like their blood and stuff too. Yeah, and a lot of the whole fats mm. from olive oil, um, a lot of meat, a lot of dairy. But what also mm. helps with their, you know, long life is, you know, that's why it's called the Mediterranean diet is that. Not, is, not working nine to five on a desk. <laughs> yeah, their lifestyle. Actually having an easy life. Yeah, their lifestyle um, helps out a lot as well. But it's it's also the fact that a lot of their food is grown. If not, if they don't grow it themselves, it's grown locally. They have an intimate yep. connection with the food. They know where it comes from. It's produced on a small scale, you know. And they they don't eat a lot of meat. You know, every bit of meat or every bit of fish is is special. You know, so <sighs> they, they I got to put eat. down my bag of crisps now. I feel bad. Yeah, I'm sure they you know <laughs> I'm sure they indulge like everyone from time to time. But overall, mm. they eat a lot of they eat a broad variety of food. It's high quality. It's mostly organic. It's, you know, a lot of the time locally sourced. Um, And they kind of just eat a a bit of everything. And that broad fundamental diet provides everything they need. And, uh, you know, and because of that, they have a long life. So, yeah. The idea of fat-free being good, well, I don't want to say it's bad because, you know, probably is good in some ways, but the idea of fat being bad is yeah, is a total myth and mostly bullshit. Yeah. And thank God it's been debunked. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because uh, it's now sugar-free. It's now like less sugar, low sugar. Yeah. And I mean, you know? I, I think that that's good, you know, like, yeah. and I don't want to be the Sugar person. can really damage your body if you if you eat too much of it. Yeah. It can really well, do damage. Processed sugar, you know, like if you, yeah. if you eat a lot of fruit and, um, you know, a moderate amount of honey and thing and like dates and things with high amounts of uh unprocessed natural sugars in it that's fine but if you eat yeah. a lot of processed added sugar that's that's the mm-hmm. damaging stuff that's the stuff that can make you you know overweight and uh, lead to diabetes and all sorts of things of course but anyway we are not dietitians or nutritionists <laughs> or doctors <laughs> yeah, so don't listen to us you can bring your junior mints and stuff back you know to you it's okay and in your endings and stuff <laughs> don't worry about us <laughs> i think i think you can drink your pepsi it's fine. If there's one takeaway from this episode is if you want to enjoy some fat-free or, you know, you know, uh, dishonestly fat-free frozen yogurt, that's fine. It's, of course. it's okay to have that. But just don't eat as much as Newman. That's that's the one takeaway no. that I think we can uh, we can establish. No two rounds of strawberry, yeah? No, no, no. Don't don't go to <laughs> don't go to the to the shop every uh, every day after you work with your postal buddies and gorge on fat free yogurt. That's that's the one Please. that's the one thing we can say with confidence. Absolutely. But anyway, mate, let's talk about the next character. I've got notes on Cheryl and the lab technician and the doctor. Uh, who do you want to talk about? Uh, let's talk about Cheryl. She's played by Lisa Who I, I said Hool at the start, but 
I think it's Lisa Houle or, okay. or Howl. It's H-O-U-L-E. Uh, she's appeared in Haven and Flashpoint, and uh, she is, I wouldn't say a victim, but she is succumbing to Kramer's Kavorka. Definitely. And as soon as she turns around and sees him, she's just immediately completely smitten. Yeah, and she's so engrossed in her work. I feel like she probably has deep sexual fantasies, but maybe because she's so busy with work and the lab and stuff, I think Kramer kind of unlocks it. Yeah, I sensed a bit of um repressed sexual urges. Pent up, pent up yeah, urges, yeah. yeah. Yeah, repressed urges and um, pent up desire. And, uh, you know, probably being someone who works a lot of hours, she doesn't get the opportunity to meet many men. So when Kramer shows a very strong approach to her, she's uh, immediately receptive. Oh, she is, yeah. She's all over it. And uh, after the blood's been mixed and stuff. I, I feel like she's probably a really honest person as well. I think to, you know, cover for Kramer because she was so attracted to him, she probably said, I'm going to take the fall for this. And I reckon she probably got fired from uh, from the job, you know, because yeah. of course, Rudy Giuliani's blood getting mixed with another one. And, you know, there's a big cholesterol scare. Obviously, that'll uh, ruffle some feathers, cause some controversy. So I think she probably low-key accepted the blame to save the lab from any PR disasters and, and she left. Yeah. I mean, it is in the final scene, you do see Elaine reading the paper and she reads that little article that clarifies that oh, the, the, the blood work of Giuliani's was actually a mistake and it was just because someone else's blood uh, spilt into his uh, his test tube. But, yeah, uh, 150 yeah, points uh, higher than, than what it was, than what it should yeah, have been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a bit. And I I think that that clarification probably came out from from, uh, Cheryl, you know, uh, admitting to what happened. Yeah. And, you know, to save her reputation and and the companies or the labs, they probably just said it was just an error, just an admin error or lab error or something, pathology issue. Oh, no, I was saying that initially, you know, the lab results show that his cholesterol is high, but I would assume, you know, you saying that she seems like a very honest person, I would assume that maybe after a week or two, uh, you know, she just felt too guilty and couldn't couldn't live with that. And yeah, then, right, right, right. And then admitted that, oh, no, no, it mixed because of, you know, me coming into the lab after hours and, and doing that. And then that's how, you know, they were able to release that article clarifying what oh, happened. Yeah, right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But, I mean, she yeah. still would have. But that kind of ties into what you were saying in that she still put herself out there for the sake of honesty. You know, she still relieved herself of that guilt. but she still would have, a byproduct of that was her taking the fall. You know, she still would have been held. <laughs> yep. And I mean, you know, and rightfully so, she was responsible. She broke the rules. She caused the initial controversy. And, uh, you know, she she was honest and uh, took the fall, and um, but also relieved herself of that guilt. Oh, and relieved herself of her sexual tension too. Well, uh, it's implied, but yes. Given that it's framed, <laughs> yeah. I would assume that, uh, that definitely happened. Uh, yeah. Well, luckily there wasn't a bed, so, you know, she doesn't have the Jimmy Leaks to push Kramer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> they just did it on the, on the lab floor. But anyway, my last character I've got notes on is the doctor um the orthopedist who david dinkins recommends george to go see he's played by actor and writer hugh a rose seinfeld is only one of four credits to his resume he has uh, only three other acting credits huh. and then they're in stuff i've never heard of oh well there you go there you go yeah i, I liked him he was my favorite secondary he shoots from the hip you know yep. he's a straight talking orthopedist and he says to george i didn't see anything in your x-rays and you know i've observed you and there's nothing wrong with you i think you're wasting my time and george says why would you know who would waste their time doing this <laughs> And I love when he goes, a sick person, an immature person. Yeah. And then George just looks at him like, my God, what have I done? Yeah. I love it. I just love how he just like deadpan, like gives him the thousand yard stare and just, you know, strips him down. So good. Totally. Yeah. Completely no nonsense. And that's probably, you know, why he's, you know, he's the mayor's favorite orthopedist, mayor's favorite doctor, because he, you know, he shoots from the hip. He only tells it like it is. Tells him like it is. And, uh, you know, he's probably got a massive amount of professional respect because, you know, and he's not, he's not like he's cold or I'm sure he's got that, that skill that doctors need, you know, when he needs to be warm and, and, um, and comforting, comforting and empathetic. But, 
uh, when he when he sniffs a scam, uh, you know, he doesn't he doesn't waste his time. Yeah, and he probably you know gets well. I, I'd imagine he'd be like almost an exclusive orthopedist. You know, he probably deals with like high society, you know, people people with lots of money and stuff. I don't think it'd be cheap going to see someone like him. I mean, you look at his office and it's all like fancy with books and you know I think it's like mahogany all around his office. You know, he's pretty uh, he's pretty uh, well paid. Yeah, for he's his doing work. well for himself. Very well for himself. Yeah, I just I just love that scene with him and George, and he just tears George to shreds. But he yeah. kind of he doesn't say it directly. He kind of like he kind of like says it indirectly in like a passive aggressive way. But he knows that George is you know bullshitting. Yeah, I mean he doesn't say George, you are lying to me, but he's saying that I know that this is a lie, and only sick people that would do it. So he's he's accusing him, but not one hundred percent directly accusing him. Yeah, because uh, of course, yeah. obviously, he doesn't want to say you're lying, but then George gets a diagnosis from someone else. You know, it's like oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's you know, he, he can't just say his words carefully in that he can just completely, um, you know, dismantle George's scam. But uh, <laughs> he he can't be accused of you know like defamation or false accusation. Like he's he's very good at threading that needle. Yeah, and if and if George came back to him, you know, with his because he he bangs his arm on the desk and then he yeah. starts getting that you know, spasm. Uh, yeah, the doctor would said, "Oh, you actually do have something wrong with you. Let's check you out." Yeah, he could. He has plausible deniability to say, "Well, I didn't actually directly accuse you of uh, making it up, but." Mm. You he did, but he didn't. So, yeah, he, he chose yeah. his words very wisely and very carefully. Um, he did. Yeah, and, and obviously he's uh, extremely perceptive, very intelligent, because um, I, I think he can just sniff George's scam a mile away. He can just smell it. Oh, yeah, he knows. Yeah. He probably, well, he probably obviously would have checked George out and then seen the x-rays and then he would have yep. called George out for his bullshit. Yeah. I don't think he would have like, like when, when George came in, he would have noticed something. I think after the scans, yeah, I feel like maybe he was being like his empathetic self. Because obviously yep. when you're a doctor, you, you, you can't see inside someone's body without scans. But then I think once he saw everything, he's like, what the hell? And he's probably not familiar with any diagnosis where there's a spasm like that. So he's like, I don't know what this is. You know, I have no idea. So I think, for, I think once he saw the scans were clear, then he's like, nah, this is bullshit. You're wasting my time. And that's the way I saw it anyway. Yeah. What about yeah, you? No, no, that's fair. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, to clarify or to correct what I said, yeah, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have assumed he's scamming, scamming him when he came into his office. He probably would have given him the benefit of the doubt, you know, which is the right thing to do. But yeah, once he saw that there was absolutely no evidence of anything wrong, he was just like, hang on, something doesn't add up. He's probably full of shit. And, uh, you know, his suspicions are confirmed when, uh, you know, when George, Again, indirectly, but uh, still kind of directly admits it. He's just like, well, okay. <laughs> okay, <So>. yes. <laughs> that's what I did. That's it. Do you have any <laughs> other notes on any other secondary? No, that's it, buddy. How about we take one more break? And when we come back, we are going to rank the non-fat yogurt in our episodes we have done so far. And we're going to find out if any of today's newer secondary characters make our top 20 secondaries on the show. Now, cursing is not something that most comedians do. You did it. That's true. But it was an accident, and I haven't done it since, and I would never do it again. And if you continue cursing, you'll never become a comedian like me when you grow up. Excuse me, one second. You know, Lloyd advises Dinkins on everything he does. Yeah, yeah, big advisor. He tells him what soap to use. <laughs> what the f*** are you doing, you little piece of all right, buddy, out of 165 episodes to go with four remaining after this one, where does the non-fat yogurt sit for you? Uh, this one sits at number 98. I really like this episode. Okay, uh, yeah, cool. 
Yeah, nice. I mean, I liked it quite a lot. I wouldn't say it's, you know, classic episode, but yeah, no weak points as far as I'm concerned. I liked everyone's storyline. It all kind of tied in together well with, you know, George and his rivalry with Floyd, uh, Floyd, Lloyd. Um, and <laughs> Floyd. Also, yeah, and I really liked how, you know, all the storylines were kind of, you know, they worked on their own, but they all kind of orbited around uh, the, the, the yogurt shop. Yeah, yeah, everything was all about the yogurt shop. And you actually see the facade of the yogurt shop in uh, later episodes of the show. It's set... Uh, it's part of the scene, uh, the scenery uh, of a New York street. So you'll oh, see that uh, shop front a few times. Yeah. Okay. I didn't notice. Well, I didn't remember. I probably noticed it throughout our, uh, yeah. you know, watching of the series, but I didn't clock that when we watched this, when I watched this episode. It, yeah. It's very subliminal. It's only like half a second when you see it. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, for me, I think it's a bona fide classic, number 23. I uh, oh, wow. really okay. enjoyed it. Yeah. One of the best season five episodes. I love how the crowd is really in on it. They're having a great time. And uh, yeah, lots of jokes hit. Uh, I think it's very well written. I love, you know, you see George is going with something to try and, because he knows that Lloyd Braun, you know, has him around his finger. Yeah. And then he's like to, you know, to kind of satisfy Lloyd in a way, because uh, he, th- he knows that Lloyd's better than him. Uh, he just goes through with the whole orthopedics thing. And yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really hilarious. I loved Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, this is a great performance by her as Elaine. And, uh, yeah, everyone everyone was so fucking good, <laughs> like the yogurt. Yeah, I, I must sit, I must admit as well that was, I'm not admitting it, but I, I must note that uh, Kramer was really good in this episode as well. Especially um, when, yeah. when uh, you know, when they were trying to figure out why they put on weight. And he's just like, he's just like, nope, you know, yes again, Tubby. <laughs> yeah. I love, he just keeps calling Jerry like names like Fatso, Tubby, Chubbs. Yeah, because I, I think- like, I, I don't know what I to Kramer, I think Kramer feels personally slighted when they suggest that maybe he made a bad investment or maybe, you know, maybe he misjudged this frozen yogurt. Kramer's like, mm. you know, Kramer's yeah, not- Yeah, he's insulted. Worried. Yeah, he's insulted. He's like, well, you're not just questioning the yogurt, you're sort of questioning my judgment. So that's why I think he's a bit mean to Jerry. Plus he knows that if, you know, this scandal comes out, the yogurt business is finished because it's basically been falsely- advertised so and he's put money in it too so he'll lose a lot which he does yeah for sure (laughs) anyway do any of um the newer secondary characters make you 20 besides lloyd braun or anyone no cool all right buddy that was another week of but i don't want to be a secondary character thank you so much for listening if you want to reach out to us you can email us bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com we're also on social media facebook twitter instagram reddit and i think tiktok and discord as well uh, at b-i-d-w-b-a-s-c and uh you can support us financially steve that's right we do have a patreon patreon.com forward slash b-i-d-w-s-c uh you can pay a couple of bucks a month and get access to our normal episodes a week early as well as a whole bunch of bun- uh, a whole bunch of uh, bonus content like Curbcast and uh, our fictional season 11 which is uh, 10 episodes that we've written set in the modern time 20 years after um, the original Seinfeld ended and uh, we do have a PayPal as well if you want to make some one-off donations as opposed to committing to a regular financial amount absolutely and because even though we only have four episodes of this series left uh, don't feel like you're you know you missed the boat with regards to Patreon and PayPal um, with Patreon you can sign up for a couple of bucks a month and uh, we're going to be releasing some more stuff including new podcast series and more bonus content after this show ends so uh yeah don't be afraid to jump in if you're on the fence yes that's right so uh over the next few weeks we'll announce our plans uh what we plan to do uh not only with curbcast but also some bigger plans as well over the next year or so but we'll announce all those specifics over the next few weeks before this boy ends yes it won't be the last that you'll hear of us in this one let me tell you that's right until next week uh well what are we doing next week next week we're doing the calzoni from season seven and it's our fourth anniversary Stephen so on March 17 when the episode comes out that'll be four years since we did our very first episode Jesus what a four years to the day wow it's gone pretty quick yeah 
and we've gone through a lot of shit, <laughs> you know, in those last four years, and but we finally got there. So uh, yeah, I might, I might eat a calzone to uh, to celebrate four years. Yeah, I'm gonna have a calzone too. I reckon if we go out for dinner next time, we should go to an Italian restaurant. Yeah, I might yeah, have a calzone. We should, we should to eat a calzone in honor of uh, that that episode. Love it. All right, well we can do it next week or the week after. Sounds good. Yeah, but uh, thank you again for listening to us. We'll see you next time for the calzone. I'm Stephen. I'm Ivan, and uh, we'll catch you all next week. Until then, take care. Bye.